Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. going on everybody welcome to the latest episode of the first to 10 podcast brought to you by blocking the boys powered by sb nation as always tony catalina and aiden davis here and uh aiden if you don't mind i just wanted to start off the show um for people that don't know i'll give you a little peek behind the curtain um my grandmother passed away yesterday. Um, so we're recording this on Sunday. She passed away on Saturday. And, you know, usually I don't like to put my personal business out there, but I just wanted to, you know, dedicate this episode, if I could, to Gail Broden, my grandmother, my Mimi. Um, she was awesome. Huge, huge fan and supporter, obviously, of me and blogging the boys. She was always excited to read my articles and listen to our podcast. So um, sadly, we have lost at least one of our um, listeners. Um, she was definitely a week to week uh, listener and she loved it. So um, this episode to me, um, you know, just to kind of speak about it, I had talked to RJ and I talked to Aiden and and you both kind of like messaged or, or kind of relayed to me, hey, like we don't have to do this. And, um, you know, for me, it was one of those things where like I had to do this. This is something she'd want me to do. This is something that she would uh, she'd be upset with me if I didn't do it on account of her. So um, this show is important. Um, I've I've you know, leaned on blogging the boys and, and this show specifically in a lot of tough situations over the last couple of years. So this is one of those situations where, um, felt right to get out here and do this. So talking about the Cowboys has always been a safe space for me. And I know she's listening, uh, a little further than used to though, but without, uh, really kind of going too far, um, more than that, Aiden, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, Tony. Sorry to hear that. And I think I stand with all the listeners when I say that we support you and we're we're really d- upset for you man so i do appreciate you doing this show like like you mentioned i think this show is just as important for us as it is for like the listener out there like we get just as much enjoyment doing it as you yeah. hopefully get listening to it so totally yeah, get that i appreciate that man and you know for me i think you would agree with the sentiment like we don't care if it's three or four people listening to the show, downloading it. Like we do this for the fun of it. We're both diehard Cowboys fans. And, um, you know, like I said, I I mean, even back to last May, like I was stranded in in Dominican Republic with COVID couldn't come back home because of the crazy laws and the rules at that time. Um, and I just, even though I was sick with COVID, I was like, I have to do the show because this is like my only sense of normalcy right now. So, um, I would definitely say first and 10 podcast blog on the boys have got me through some tough times and, um, it never even crossed my mind to not do this episode. So, you know, without, you know, kind of without the somber stuff here, man, um, I'm itching for football, bro. Like, honestly, I don't know about you. I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to watch the college world series. I'm trying to kind of dive into, you know, some Red Sox Yankees are actually playing right now. So that's fun for me personally. Um, but nothing really quite like satisfies that itch like Dallas Cowboys football. 
Yeah, my roommate the other day was bored, and so he just threw on like college, college football and NFL football highlights. And to me, like that was so fun. I was like, yeah, it's not the real product, but like this, just like in June, this is as close as I'm gonna get to a real product of football. And to me, like this is actually exciting, which shows me how desperate I am for football right now. Yeah, I actually found myself, um, you know, I've watched it a million times, but my wife had it, and it was the Buffalo Bills. Cowboy Super Bowl, the first one. Um, and that was on NFL Network today. So I had I sat my wife down and you know that meme where like you hold the eyes open. You know, I was <laughs> I was like holding her eyes open and major. <laughs> I was like, you gotta watch this. This is what a cowboy super bowl looks like. So um <laughs> that's kind of you know, th there's been some games they've shown. Like, I think yesterday they showed like the Green Bay Packers Cowboys lost last year. I was like, I'm not gonna watch this one. I'm only watching no, the I don't watch losses. I can't yeah. do that. So <laughs> question i don't think i've ever asked you this what's what's the game day experience with your wife and you like do you guys watch in the same room do you oh yeah not okay yeah so it was and it's funny you say that until i like started dating my wife and and we're together like we've been together for over five years now i had like a folding chair and it didn't matter where it was. I was watching the game by myself. Like I had like a lucky chair, obviously not very lucky, but I would watch the game in my room by myself. Didn't matter if there was a big party, big function going on. And she came into my life and it was a lot harder to kind of keep that together when she, you know, every, you know, all, all of our significant others want like that moment. You know what I mean? So she's like, let's watch the game together. So she became like my ride or die. She got the yeah. Jersey. She got the Micah Parsons and, and she's invested in, it. I will give her all the credit in the world. Like she, she really, like dives into it and she she knows what she's watching she knows what she's talking about and um it's been fun to add her like our game day experience is a lot of food like i love personally if you ask me my perfect situation is when the cowboys play the late kickoff or not the night one but the like the afternoon the 3 p.m slot yeah yes it's the best because we can we can chill watch the red zone eat good food all through the afternoon and then when the cowboys play it's like all right it's time to lock in it's like be serious and like so you get the full experience on sunday the three, to, I guess I'm a Texan calling it the 3 p.m. slot, but as of us Texans call it the 3 p.m. slot, to, that's the best slot because I actually don't like Cowboys in primetime. I get it. Like, I get to watch, like, the full slate of noon and 3 o'clock red zone games, but, like, there's just something about, like, I don't want to stress about, like, just the Cowboys being, and, like, I only yeah. watch the Cowboys game, but when it's the 3 p.m. slot, and then get to hopefully after a win, decompress, watch Sunday night football, then get to watch Monday night football stress free. And to me, I think the 3 p.m. slots, the that's the best slot. I agree. And, uh, you know, the, the early slot, like the noon, I'll talk in central time here, but the noon slot <laughs> um, when the Cowboys are on, that's the only game I watch. So I'm missing like seven yeah. or eight football games. Like, you know what I mean? When they do the early slate. So it, it's tough to like watch the one Cowboys game at one or 12. And then there's only two or three on at four. So I feel like I'm getting robbed of like a Sunday experience. So um, I definitely prefer if, if I had to choose that late afternoon, 3 p.m. slot is uh, definitely the money for me. And they know they're like, everybody's going to be watching the Cowboys games. We're not going to schedule like you're never going to get like a Bills Chiefs matchup at three o'clock while the Cowboys are also in that slate. They, yeah. they know what they're doing. Exactly. They're, they're, yeah. Especially now, it'll be interesting to see with like how there's no like allegiance between Fox and CBS with the 
NFC, AFC, like the Cowboys. Yep. I mean, I, you know, I live in Massachusetts and I buy the Sunday ticket. So I never miss a Cowboys game because of the out of market games. Or, but the Cowboys only out of market for me twice last year. So like I paid Sunday <laughs> ticket and it wasn't even like worth it. You know what I mean? So yep. um, I don't, it's like, I love it because it's easy to watch them, but I, I hate throwing money away. So either way, um, but I digress. Let's kind of get into some topics here. And uh, this one's kind of fairly new and interesting. So um, Tony Pollard, according to Jeremy Fowler from ESPN, is open to a new contract. He was on, um, I believe it was SportsCenter this morning as we record this on Sunday, just talking about how he'd be interested in maybe a two or three year deal and that the Cowboys would, quote, love to reduce the cap hit. So I want to ask you what your initial thoughts were on this. I mean, is it like a duh kind of thing for Tony Pollard or does it make sense for both parties? to me this is i want to see the details first because i am in favor of the cowboys getting the tony get extending tony pollard but there's two things that i really don't want to happen b i don't or a i don't want to see anything past three years we saw that with zeke locking a running back into a five-year deal and extended it was the zeke contract five or six years when we signed him i believe it was five yeah five years I don't want to lock a running back in for five years, especially a, a running back who is now on, this will be his third contract with the franchise tag kind of being a contract. Mm-hmm. So I want it to be short-term, two, three years specifically. And B, I, I just don't know if I, I love Tony Pollard. I think Tony Pollard's a great running back. I've been his champion on the show at times. I don't think I want the Cowboys going over $8 million in my mind. Like, We've yeah. seen good running backs get signed for about eight million. If it averages out to like three years, twenty-four million, to me, perfect. I'm yeah. happy. And it seems like from what Fowler said, if I read it correctly, and I, I saw, I actually read it through Bleacher Report, so I'll give the proper credit there. Um, I think they said they projected anywhere from three years, twenty-seven million to thirty million. So that's anywhere from nine to ten million dollars a year, a little yeah. higher, a little richer that's than okay. what you want. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but like. Is there anybody right now even getting that? So would he be the highest paid running back or close to it at this point? Um, and it, not annually because the franchise tag is ten million dollars a year, but we 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 see guys who are making that three, four, five million dollars a year. So he'd probably he'd double that up in this case. Yeah, and like Tony Pollard, there was just an article posted, and I don't know the writer, so I'm not giving proper credit here. But Sports Illustrated just came out with their running back rankings. They have Tony Pollard at four. So like mm. what's Tony Pollard's a good running back and he like he deserves his money, but keep Jerry in the entire front office. You just went through this whole charade with Zeke. You saw what happened at the end. You saw how it had to complete. You had to completely sever ties. Don't please don't overpay Pollard, especially overpay Pollard over a long time, because I really don't want to go through this charade again. And I'm going to look up and see what the current running back contracts look like. Yeah. And I would say for me, I don't mean this as a negative, but it kind of just is what it is. If they were to, you know, sign a deal and kind of shift some money around, it would almost feel like a short sighted move for the Cowboys because they were talking about freeing up space for this year. So what is your plan? What else can you do this year with that money? Is that what they're thinking about? If they think they're comfortable and they can get Trayvon Diggs and they can get, um, you know, uh, CD lamb under contract and you don't have to touch the Tony Pollard situation. 
I don't know if I would, right? I, I think I had spoken all off season about the fact that, you know, one year Tony Pollard rental and then start over fresh in the running back room next year. They may have different ideas now. And and looking at this, I feel like that's kind of where they're going. So I don't know if they want to hitch their wagons to Tony Pollard. I don't love the idea, but I, I don't hate it. I guess I can be talked into it if the money is reasonable. Do you think so? I they said to alleviate some capage. Do you think it's almost it almost makes sense if the Cowboys aren't going to do anything, which we they're not going to sign Hopkins. I don't see them making any major moves. Like you mentioned, should they just front load this contract? Like if you're giving Tony Pollard, I don't know, let's say you settle on that number you said 27 to 30 million, do you just take like 15 of that million out this year and just say, we have 20 million in cap space. We're sitting pretty. We know Diggs is coming up. Like you said, we know Parsons is coming up. We know Lamb's coming up. Let's just get, let's get Pollard paid this year and we can make those two years two, three, four, like conceivably he would get extended. So like year one, year two, year three, let's make those a little bearable. Would that be the right move? I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting way how they're going to have to figure it out. I agree that like if you can get them for the real cheap over the next two or three years, if there's a way to structure that, that's definitely something I think uh, is worth exploring. I, I just wonder because they talked about this year getting the cap relief this year. So it makes me wonder, like, what do they want to do right yeah, now? Why? Yeah, right. exactly. It's got to be it. CD and digs, right? I would think that like they have the money to do it, but do they want more space? You know what I mean? I don't understand, but. Um, it came out a, a little bit out of left field, though, this whole situation. So, uh, you know, I guess we kind of answered this question a little bit, but I'll ask it more directly. Um, is this the right move for the team for the future? I think it is. If it's like I said, if it's that two, three years, not super expensive, I do think it's the right move. But part of me, like and I said I mentioned on the show before, I understand over the past couple of years, Tony Paul has kind of become the de facto running back one. We haven't seen him be the running back, like workhorse guy on this team. Sure. And like I I do have up I have the utmost faith in Pollard. If I had to guess, he's gonna have a very solid like fourteen hundred ish yards on the ground, maybe two, three hundred receiving. Like that's I think that's likely in the cards with the 17 game season. I just we haven't seen it yet. And right. so to then invest three years. $30 million into like it's risky, but we've also, we have a, enough sample size of Pollard to know, like he's not a bad running back. Obviously he is, he is this he is a good running back for this team. I just have a little bit of hesitation there. Yeah, I agree. I think that hesitation is fair though. You know what I mean? I think that's not like an unreasonable thing. I mean, He's never been the guy, like you said, to kind of reiterate, and he's coming off an injury. So what does that look like? Now, we can feel good about it, and we can feel that, like, this is um, a situation that can work out favorably for the Cowboys, but it's it's a leap of faith, right? I mean, you get into a three-year deal with a guy that you can be done with after year one. What if Tony Pollard goes out there and he isn't the Tony Pollard we saw last year? I'm, I'm not anticipating that, but you got to think about yeah. what could happen. It's possible. Um, right, it's yeah. possible. Like, I, it's probably going to cost him more in the back end. If he goes out and has a, a career year, you probably, you, you probably market yourself out. But at the same time, what's worse that or overpaying for a guy who isn't who you thought he was anymore. So it's a, this is why they get paid the big bucks. And um, it'll definitely be interesting to see how they handle Tony Pollard, you know, at least through July, I believe the date is July 17th. Otherwise he has to play on the franchise tag. Yeah. So one I'm looking at running back salaries right now. To me, a very comparable guy to Eckler or to 
Pollard, I just spoiled it in terms of to Pollard in terms of what he does, what he brings, both rushing like a solid rushing back who's also able to add in the passing game is Austin Eckler. He's getting paid six million a year, and the Chargers were like at one point the Chargers were considering like they didn't want to pay that contract. So like yeah. six million dollars to me like that's that was kind of the ballpark I was hoping. So yeah. ten million ten million makes me raise an eyebrow because like guys like. I mean, we're talking about guys like Aaron Jones, Joe Mixon, Nick Chubb. They're getting paid between the 10 to 12 area. And that's contracts that outside of Nick Chubb, everybody's they the Packers want to cut ties with Aaron Jones. Bengals want to cut ties with Mixon. So when you get up to that number, you start making some risky bets. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it's it's the market of the running back right now. It's a, it's an interesting time to be a running back with all these contracts. I know Saquon Barkley's fighting for his life with the $10 million in the franchise tag. So there's a lot to be hashed out at the running back position. Um, it'll be interesting. It'll be something to monitor. Like I said, what today it's the 18th, so we got a month to figure this out. Real quick, I guess you just mentioned Saquon Barkley, which is an interesting we talked about how we don't want Justin Jefferson to get paid because before CD, because we know that J- Justin Jefferson contracts could be ex- insane. Do you take the risk that running back contracts across the board are decreasing? Do you take the risk of letting Saquon hit the open market and then saying, okay, Saquon Barkley only got nine, 10 million from the Giants? Pollard. Can we get you in at eight, like eight, yeah. seven? Like, do you do you take the reverse risk there, knowing that running back contracts are decreasing? I think that's a possibility. I think um, I, I actually like the way you're thinking because that's how I feel about it. I think um, the longer Saquon Barkley has to duke it out, it probably favors him in, into the side of the team, right? So, like, yep. if Tony Pollard, I mean, Saquon Barkley's fighting for $10 million, and I think the Giants are telling him, like, nobody's getting that, and you're included in that, like, so it could long. I think that's why Tony Pollard signed the franchise tag as quickly as he did. He's like, I'm going to get my $10 million, you know, nothing less. So I'm going to be good with that and feel good about it. But uh, like, I, I think some of these running back guys are kind of like not realizing the market or they're getting bad advice. So it, it's interesting to watch. Zeke and Dalvin Cook. That's two names that, I mean, we could very well see, but like Zeke signed for like $3 million. Dalvin Cook signed for like five. And at that point, Tony Pollard, like you lost a little bit of leverage in that yeah. case. And Derrick Henry's like on his way out. And the dude is like exactly monster yeah. year. Like, I mean, he has monster years every year and like they don't value him the way that they should either. So I think it's just the way the league is going, the way the running back's position is going. And uh, like I said, we got about just about a month until we'll figure this, how this sorts out. So we'll be definitely interested and I'm sure we'll be talking about it uh, moving forward. Um, something else that's pretty, pretty interesting is our next topic here. Um, you know, I, I kind of label it as a clear push towards analytics. I don't know if you're familiar with any of this, but yep. the Cowboys hired John Park, who was with the in- Indianapolis Colts as the director of strategic football operations. And now Sarah Malpoli, I hope I'm saying that correct, but Sarah Malpoli as a strategic football analyst. Uh, this is this is a different, you know, age of football. So I want to ask you with these two hiring, what's your initial thoughts on this? Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. 
And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. I, I mean, I've always been... As you might know from the show, like I've always been an analytics guy in football. Like I love yep. diving into more of those this advanced wheelhouse. Yeah, like EPA. Per, like I highly recommend if you're trying to evaluate a team or quarterbacks, EPA per play. That's my like the metric that I go to. There's a lot of good metrics out there. My thing, I do love this push to analytics, and I do think this is a McCarthy. Uh, this is a result of McCarthy. I do believe that he is driving this because we've seen Mike McCarthy make some excellent fourth down decisions where I, I think in the past, like a guy like Jason Garrett wouldn't have been that risky, but when the analytics tell you to go for it, we've seen McCarthy actually do pretty well in terms of the percentage of fourth downs he gets right. And th- decision-making wise. And so I'm, I, I really like this. I I've actually been following Sarah's work for a little bit. She did excellent work with the Ravens. And so to me, John Park, I wasn't as familiar with, but what we're hearing, like to, I hear it's like, it was a, they knocked that higher out of the park. So to me, I'm completely in on this. Yeah, I will say I'm, I'm actually really excited about this because um, if you look at football and the way it is, it's such a like a, a men's gentleman's game in the sense that like you got a crew and you got group think and everything is, you know, stagnant as far as football. Right. If you can get some fresh perspectives somebody who doesn't have the same background as everybody else in the room and they can come out from an analytical data-driven situation and say this is what the numbers tell you here's the percentages here's what can show you like it it it, to me i think that's just such an awesome thing to take a look at now it doesn't have to be the end-all be-all you don't have to change your philosophical beliefs on anything but to have more information i've always been a guy who wants to take everything i can and sort it all out and i think having people in the building like this and i know they had something similar to this but this is really interesting to see mike mccarthy kind of run the show now and really add these pieces to the puzzle and say this is important to me i mean you remember when he got hired he talked about analytics. He talked about, you know, crunching yep. numbers. So I think Mike McCarthy had the light turn on, whether it be 2019 or 2020, and said this is the new way of football. And I think that they're going to grab an edge somewhere. So I, th- I I think this helps, and I and I love it. Yeah, I mean, there's, at least this is more of the general consensus of the football analytics community. I don't, I have no idea what's happening on the back end with these teams. I don't know how these this, these recent hires are going to factor into the existing analytics that the Cowboys are working and how it's going to evolve. But I can tell you that 
what we know from analytics in terms of three things that if you're just looking at like at his face, football, how football is evolving, this number one, these hires greatly reduce the chance that Tony Pollard gets paid a lot because analytics is telling you don't pay the running back position. You can find value in the third, fourth, fifth round and just the more plug and play guys. B, you're going to see the Cowboys go for it less frequently on or you're going to see the Cowboys go for it more frequently on fourth down instead of selling for field goals. And the Cowboys are also the third thing would be the Cowboys becoming more pass happy. The notion that you don't need to set up the run. You don't need to establish a run to set up the pass is kind of becoming like the analytics committee is kind of disproving that and trying to become more pass happy specifically on early downs. I don't know if that's going to factor into the Cowboys, but that is going to be things that I'm looking for, like small things like that. Like just how, how are the Cowboys adapting to this more modern approach to football, which I don't know. There's a chance that it doesn't change a lot, but that's going to be the three of things, three of the things I'm looking for. Now you may have already answered this question, but I'll ask it anyway, in case you kind of want to expand upon it. But now that they have a more concentrated focus on analytics, where do you think the edge for them will come like come from? Like, where's, where does the results of this, like, what do you see it kind of helping this team at? I think it's going to come a lot with personnel. I think that's where you find that's more commonly where you use the edge and analytics. Like it's tough to make in-game decisions using analytics just because, I mean, Mike McCarthy is making decisions on the fly. He like likely if we're on first down if say, or sorry, say we're in it's second and seven, the play hasn't even happened yet. Mike McCarthy's already thinking, okay, what play am I going to run? If it's like third and five, what play am I going to run? If it's third and one, like Mike McCarthy's ahead of the game. And so analytics, it's still catching up in terms of you need the speed to make those decisions, which is speed that relaying it from the boxes down to the field is difficult. So it's more personnel decisions. It's stuff like the running back position getting devalued a little bit. The tight end positions increase like relative relative to the rest of the NFL. I think analytics sees the tight end position as a little bit more important than the general consensus would have it believe. And so it's just edges like that. It's, and it's finding individual players in high school and college. You're seeing analytics incorporated into recruiting a lot more. And so it's mostly going to come in personnel decisions. Yeah. And I love the, th- the fact or the idea that, you know, we see the call sheet, we make fun of guys. They have the waffle house size, like menu sometimes on the field, but if there can be every single scenario with analytic or, you know, percentages are based and I understand that sometimes gut feeling goes into it, but if you can kind of, have an idea of every you know third and short third and medium fourth and short 40 yard line going in fourth quarter and have everything kind of sorted out in a mathematical analytical way it i just think that having that information at your hand in those moments helps so much instead of a you know human error you have it right there you can take your personal thoughts into it and you can take you know i know my quarterback i know my team so i'm going to lean towards here but the numbers tell me x y and z i love that yeah, I can tell you that in terms of teams that are currently using analytics and in-game decision-making, it's commonly what will happen is is on third down, say it's third and seven, the analytics guy will ring down and say, if you pick up three or more yards on this, go for it. Like we already, we've already ran the numbers. We know how it works. You just need to gain X number of yards, go for it. Otherwise settle for field goal. And to me, like that's really exciting for McCarthy. I have a guy in his ear that's like validating, no. Go for it now. Yeah. Like, you are good. You got the green light. Go for it. And I didn't plan this to write this, but you saying that kind of popped this question real quickly in my head. D- does analytics, like, 
like side on the aggressiveness is it more so it analytics yeah. yeah i love that i love i mean an aggressive team with some really good players like not every team is built the same way that the cowboys are but when you have talent and analytics tell you to be aggressive that's a recipe for success in my eyes yeah keep in mind the touchdowns were seven a field goal is worth three and analytics yep. knows that <laughs> seven points is a heck of a lot more valuable than three points <laughs> absolutely and the last question in this topic here is obviously we had talked about mike mccarthy has alluded to analytics since he got here is this more you know evidence of him building out his vision that he's had since he got here i think it is i think to me we've we're seeing mccarthy take full control of this team like during the i think the like the broadcast, that clip of them drafting Mozzie Smith did him a little dirty in terms of like, we saw Mike McCarthy it was almost like he was ambivalent, but no, Mike McCarthy, he, in terms of obviously taking over offensive play calls in terms of hiring, getting the guys on his staff that he wants now hiring more analytics personnel. I think this is Mike McCarthy going all in saying this season might be a failure and all, I mean, it will be the last season that coach for the Cowboys, but I'm at least going to take this all over. It, like this team is mine and I'm going to win and die by what I believe, which is good. We need a coach yeah. that is is going to insert his vision. Yeah, I like it. He's got skin in the game, right? Like this is his yep. team. This is his staff. This is his vision. If it works out and he's a Super Bowl champion, like you can't tell him nothing, right? Because now you listen to Mike McCarthy. If it doesn't work out, there's um, and we'll get to it. There's a topic we're gonna touch on, but if if it doesn't work out, it could all crumble and fall. So it's very uh different, a very interesting perspective or place for to be if you're Mike McCarthy right now. And I think I mean the brilliant thing I've seen is Mike McCarthy. He'll comment on players, but he he knows full well to never touch Dan Quinn's defense. And to me, that's like, that is the most brilliant move you yeah. can make. Let Dan Quinn cook. You don't need to touch the defense. If you're going to make changes, make them on offense, which is what we've seen him do this offseason. Absolutely. And I love when a natural, um, you know, progression here of uh, transition works for us. So our next topic is actually about Mike McCarthy. And, you know, this is interesting. I mean, I wrote an article about it, so I'm not really sure where I stand on it. We'll talk about it and hash it out. But Mike McCarthy has been listed on the hot seat by pro football focus to Sam Munson. He came up with a top five hot seat list. He kind of made Mike McCarthy the poster child of that article and said, you know, even after two 12 and five seasons, getting stomped out in the divisional round twice by, you know, you know, whatever the same situation here. Um, Mike McCarthy's on the hot seat. So I want to ask you first thing directly, is this warranted? Is Mike McCarthy worthy of being on the hot seat right now? In a way it's kind of warranted because like I said, Mike McCarthy's now taking control of this offense. If the Cowboys offense completely falls flat and they're a nine win team or eight win like say they don't miss make the playoffs because their offense fell flat under this new McCarthy led offense like I don't see him surviving in that case do you I don't I don't yeah. and that's that's why it's so fascinating to go 24 and 10 over the next 2 years and say he's one of the hottest you know seeded seeded coaches in the league right now it's just so fascinating I, yeah I think at some point like it's not McCarthy's it's not like the Cowboys are looking for the first excuse to fire him but like if the defense is looking as good as it did last year maybe possibly even better with what they did in the draft paired with the fact that like McCarthy is now quote-unquote the driver of the offense like if it falls flat I I have a hard time believing Jerry wouldn't say Dan you've earned your shot again you take the reins as head coach yeah it's I mean I'm looking at this like 
this is kind of, to me, just what the Dallas Cowboys are. This is the expectation. I know we were the butt of the joke a lot of the times, and I know that the Cowboys are um, oftentimes like laughed at or held to a different standard. But for a quarter or a coach to go 24 and 10, like I said, and like this be a make or break year for him because you can't get over the divisional round hump. Now, mind you, no coach and no team has been able to get over the hump for like 26 years now, but it's Mike McCarthy's problem. It's Dak Prescott's problem. We got to figure it out here and now. Otherwise, Jerry Jones is getting antsy. He's not getting any younger. We're going to have to figure something out here. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's unfair to some degree, but I love it. I want the expectation as a Cowboys fan to be championship robust, and I wouldn't really want to accept mediocrity. You know, that's not something I could get accustomed to, even that's what we've seen over the last quarter century. But, um, yeah, it can be unfair and still understand the reason behind the feeling. I think you nailed it. Yeah, I, we're both Mike McCarthy fans, but we would also, if if things go a little bit awry this season we both understand him getting fired i have a question for you because Mm -hmm. jason garrett had a really long leash in terms of we saw him put up eight eight and eight seasons and then like sprinkle in a second round loss here and there Mm -hmm. like what's what's changed because clearly something's changed we're like we're now talking about mccarthy being on the hot seat and it it being warranted because we do truly believe McCarthy is quote unquote on the hot seat after two 12 win seasons. Like if Jason Garrett did that six, seven years ago, we know we wouldn't even be talking about the potential of him getting fired. I hate to say it, but I feel like it's the personal relationship. You know, I think, you know, I think Jason and Jerry and the Joneses and, and even Tony Romo, they all had a really good personal relationship, gave him a little more leash. Like, if you remember, Jason Garrett wasn't even like fired. It was like a mutual parting <laughs> yeah. ways of like between two mutual people that really respect each other. So um, they, they even put him down like gently. You know what I mean? So I think that's the difference. I think with Mike McCarthy, there isn't that personal feeling between Jerry and Jerry's getting older and he wants to win. So I think it's very matter of fact now. And I hate the fact that we ever wasted time and it wasn't just business because I'm a guy who could separate business from personal and it's just business to me. So I think we both agree. Do you, Mike McCarthy's a better coach than Jason Garrett? Yes, definitely. Yes. What do you think 2014, 2016, let's say in 2014, Mike McCarthy's coaching up against a, a duplicate version of himself. Does Mike McCarthy make the, can you see him making the FC championship in either of those years? It's crazy. Um, I think he gives them a better percentage. We were just talking about analytics. I think he's a slightly better percentage that they go further than with Jason Garrett. You know what I mean? I think that's yep. a fair assessment. I I think I have a tough time believing that, especially in 2016, Mike McCarthy with that team, I have a tough time believing he's not beating that Packers team, which was okay. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, there's so many things like that ruined like my my teenage years, like Demarco Murray fumbling it and Des Bryant's yeah. non-catch and you know <laughs> Tony Romo's fumble in the snap. Like we just feel like the bad news bears a lot of the times. Where like if you talk like about the Cowboys misdoings, it's just laughable. Like Ezekiel <laughs> Elliott's last play was him being at center. Like how like ridiculous is this? Like I'm not even trying to feed into like the the to, into the the hysterics that are the Dallas Cowboys, but like we've had a calamity of errors that like burn me internally. 
We're not even bringing up the windows during the 2011 game against the 49ers. Yeah, yeah, the exactly. Boy, yeah, yeah, you can't, yeah, it was uh, said Wilson couldn't see the ball. Yeah. And, like, come on, man. Like, we're just, yeah, we're just, it's a joke. But I wanted to ask you this um, in here because we were talking about this. What constitutes to you in a, as a realistic successful season for Mike McCarthy? Like, if they if they have a couple of losses and they go further in the playoffs. I think we'd all agree, like, who cares about the win total? But to you, you know, whatever it is, what is to Aiden Davis a successful season for Mike McCarthy? I mean, it's such a boring answer. It's such a typical answer, but it's an NFC championship. I mean, yeah. I don't even think, like, a successful season, I don't even think he needs to appear in the Super Bowl. If you can break the streak of NFC championship, at least you, like... Because I'm going through it in my head. Say the Cowboys go 14-3... and three, and they lose in the second round again, like, yeah, we'd. St- I, I wasn't happy about the way it ended last season. I wouldn't be happy, like, so there's no regular season record to me that can make up an early exit in the playoffs. If anything, it's worse. Yeah. And then, like, in the playoffs, we saw it happen, like, this year. They destroyed the Bucks in round one. That was really cool to watch. Then you lose in the second round. Like, it's the same. Like, I just can't think of a way that it would be a quote-unquote successful season without making the NFC Championship. I totally agree. It's an easy answer. It's just answer. a boring answer. Yeah. yeah, it's boring, but it's it's the right answer. Like, yeah. you have to get over the hump, and I think that would save his job. You know what I mean? I agree. He, he, needs, he needs to get the NFC Championship game, which when you think about it, like, in totality, like, just be one of the four best teams in the league. <laughs> right? That's it. That's all you got to do is just be, you know, one of the four best teams in the league, find one game from the Super Bowl, and, and your job is safe. I If Mike McCarthy breaks the streak, the NFC Championship streak, I mean – Obviously, at that point, I would be rooting for a Super Bowl, but he doesn't even have to make the Super Bowl. I think he he is the next five years on lock, job secured. Like, if you break that streak where you have been the butt of the joke for tw- like what I don't know, eighteen years now. When do you when did when do you think people start making the joke about the Cowboys? Probably it, after yeah. like 20, 2009. Yeah, nah, like we've always two- yeah they've always been ribbing us. It yeah. just comes with the territory. Exactly. So like, <laughs> if you if you can end that streak. McCarthy, I've you got carte blanche for a few years. I I just need that streak to be over. Let me ask you this question then. Is is this conversation like unfair? Like what or is this just a result of the Dallas Cowboys? Or is this like totally justified, like the standard across the board for head coaches? I don't know. I think this is a Cowboys thing because I don't know. It's it's also different because of the way the last two years have gone. Like if you're looking at the Bears and you say, what would be a successful season? Like, yeah, playoffs would be a successful season because they haven't been a good team in a while. But the Cowboys, they're coming off two 12-win seasons. So, like, quote-unquote success, you have to you have to keep improving. I think improvement is kind of built into success. And so there's not a lot of ways the Cowboys can improve other than get advancing in the playoffs further than they have the last two years. Yeah, and I think I do think part of it, you know, a lot of it is because we're the Dallas Cowboys, you know, for right or wrong, that just comes with the territory. So you have these conversations. We have these long drawn out thoughts about head coaches who, like you mentioned, Jason Garrett had a, a longer leash than most and Mike McCarthy's back to back 12 win seasons. And it's like a do or die year for him. So um, it's it's kind of the Dallas Cowboys. It's kind of what we're expected here. And the last question I wanted to ask about this specific topic, I think it's an interesting one. When it popped in my head, I'm like, this may be worthy of a conversation. Um, is the pressure on because of the presence of Dan Quinn? I know that Dan Quinn had talked about, 
you know, hey, Mike, if you want me to leave and take a different job, I will. I know that conversation happened like a year or two ago. Uh, do you think in your mind, Dan Quinn being here kind of you know, sped up that clock a little bit? Yes. And I think I don't know how the Cowboys were able to retain Dan Quinn two straight years after. The, I do think something's happening behind the scenes where I don't think he's explicitly saying it, but I think Jerry's saying, hey, Dan Quinn, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, like things don't go well. You're up to bat like that. That's yeah. has to be the only ex. like I know I'm that might sound conspiracy, but do you agree? We're like, how are you keeping this guy around when he keeps getting courted for head coaching jobs? Yeah, I I think there's conver- I, we don't know. Right. We're speculating. Right? It's pure yeah. speculation. But Dan Quinn's got to feel good about his future prospects if he's sticking yes. around. I mean, there's got to be some money because I'm pretty sure the the um, assistance contracts like don't follow under some salary cap. So you can pay your coaches anything you want. And and so Dan Quinn's probably got a fat pay bump twice and <laughs> he's probably got told, hey, like stick it out. If Mike McCarthy does worst case scenario, you're the head coach. Best case scenario, we're successful. You maybe win a Super Bowl. So if like to, in Dan Quinn's mind, it's a win win. Exactly. So I, I mean, even outside, like that's what I personally think is happening. But even outside of that, even if like that's a silly premise that I just came up with, you you can't ignore everybody else in the like Dallas Cowboys media saying like if McCarthy's gone, it's Dan Quinn. Like Dan Quinn's next up. Everybody is seeing what Dan Quinn's doing on this field. Everybody know like he has he took a defense that in 2020 was one of the worst defenses in NFL history at least the worst defenses in recent Cowboys history. Yeah. And he has now turned it into a, one of the league's best defenses looking at potentially contending for the best defense in the league. Like you can't ignore what he's done. No, and no, no, no. Mike McCarthy definitely can't ignore what he's done. Absolutely. I think, and I think Mike McCarthy would accredit a lot of the team's success to what Dan Quinn has been able to do in such a short time. So exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Dan Quinn. I think that, I think if the Cowboys won the Super Bowl and we're sitting here watching a parade happen, I think we can honestly sit back and be like, I don't know if this team would have been able to do it without both of them. Right. It wouldn't work without Dan Quinn. It wouldn't work without Mike McCarthy. Like, the the combination of the two, I think, is what's going to be able to put this team over the top. And I would love to have that conversation, you know, come February. But, um, you know, I digress. And obviously, we'll have a lot of time to dissect all this. But I want to kind of touch into our last topic. This is pretty interesting. Um, the East-West Shrine game is going to be hosted now moving forward in Frisco, Texas. Cowboys headquarters, where they practice, where the, the locker room is. Interesting that the East-West Shrine game is here. Now, I want to ask you point blank, period. Do you think this is a big deal that they're hosting? I mean, if you tear out the the senior bowl, so to speak, the senior bowl is number one. East-West Shrine Games, number two. NFL PA yeah. Bowl is the collegiate bowl is number three. Then there's some other things sprinkled below that. But those are the three meat and potatoes. So I ask you, hosting the number two biggest senior bowl, is this a big deal? I'm not. I mean, this is Jerry liking to host things and liking to bring bring things to yeah. the star and liking to bring things because that's where this is going to be, right? It's, this is the, at the star yeah. in Frisco. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is to me something that Jerry, like this is Jerry once again saying, hey, look at this cool new facility we've built out. Look at all these cool new amenities. But I will say at the same time, like, yeah, I think if it's in Frisco, you got to believe that Mike McCarthy and Dan Quinn are going to be, are they allowed to be on the sidelines? At least like watching from yeah, afar. Like, yeah, be I like there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think they will be, I think, I don't know. It's going to give them an extra look at some players. I'm not buying, like, I don't think this is 
a super huge advantage for the Cowboys, but I think it's going to give some of our scouts and some of our actual coaches an easier opportunity to watch these players. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think it's a huge deal, but that kind of leads me to my second part or qu- question. Do you think it's a coincidence that over the last two years, the Cowboys have had nine players either drafted or signed from the East West Shrine game? I mean, that's that's, that's a pretty insane. substantial number over the last two years. And keep in mind, it was Eric Scott who actually shined at the East West Shrine game this year, yeah, right? Exactly. And I mean, so this it, year alone is Luke Schoolmaker, locked, Junior yeah. Fahoko, and Eric Scott Jr. from this year alone. Because it was Eric Scott Jr. who was going up. He was doing one-on-one reps with Zay Flowers, right? Exactly. At the East West Shrine game. If you're wondering why the Cowboys took him in the sixth round, maybe it was <laughs> them seeing Eric Scott lock up a first-round wide receiver at the East West Shrine game. I mean, it's. I don't think it's a coincidence. Three no. players out of our, what, seven? Eight. Eight because yeah. we traded up. Eight. Yeah. yeah. And they traded up for Eric Scott. Yeah. He's an East West Shrine guy, I, guy you know? Taking Luke Schoonmaker in the second round, which like I thought was a reach, most people thought was a reach. Like, mm-hmm. there's a reason they. I think the yeah. East West Shrine game probably played a pretty good part in it. Junior Vahoko, we got a chance to see that this guy was a defensive end who they're going to bulk up a little bit and put him inside and have a three tech who has some good pass rushing ability. They probably learned that at the East West Shrine practices. Like, I just I know logistically everybody's able to get there and it's a fair, you know, everything's fair, but think about a, a like a staff or a scouting department. That's like, Hey, I'm going to go have lunch in the, in the team, like lunchroom, but then I'm going to go walk out and watch this East West round game practice and like not have to worry about hotels and, and have your scouts who are your area scouts go out there. Like you can have the entire staff there. Like there is no, you three go and travel there. It's like, okay, we can have eight dudes here if we want to. So I, I think it's a small edge, but it might be an edge after all. And I mean, you know, Dak likes working with Dak's been very involved with college to like college to end that college to NFL jump. I'd be shocked if he didn't have some type of hand in this. Like, I don't, once again, I don't really know what's allowed between like, where does it get into your tampering a little bit, but yeah. Whatever Dak can do, Dak's gonna be he's gonna be doing. Yeah, and you always you always hear like Dak Prescott. I over the at least over the last couple of years, he's been getting film with some of these receivers and you kind of look at some of these guys and you're like, okay, like who do you like, Dak? And I think it's just a lot easier when he can come out with like a towel on his shoulder after a workout and be like, Oh, let me go check out like who's running one on ones here. I mean, you know what I yeah. mean? Like it's I think it's cool. I think if anything else, it's a nice tidbit. And I know personally behind the scenes, I was talking to RJ. I'm like, I might have to get down there for the East West Shrine game. Like, give me a credential and let's see if we can get down there. And it's it's possible. He told me we can do it. If if you're going, I'm going because I the star, yeah. if you haven't, it's a really cool area. I really I, like the star. I haven't been there. And I actually told him, I said, like, this could kill two birds with one stone. I can get down there, do some good work, some networking, really do some good blogging the boy stuff. And I also get to go check out Texas for a little while, which I haven't been there since 2015. <laughs> Fun, funny story. My first time visiting, I guess my only time visiting the star was my sister's graduation. They held it at the star. Oh, cool. And I remember this was like after her name had been called, my last name's Davis. So I still had the rem- remaining 22 letters of the alphabet to go. <laughs> I started like wandering around and seeing like how far I could get before a security guard turned me away because I was like, <laughs> I want to get down that locker room bad, but yeah. I know I'm not going to make it, but I want to get down there bad. You're, t- you're testing the limits a little bit. See yeah. how far you could go. I love that. <laughs> Last name Catalina. So, you know, for me, it's 
we go we get called early on graduation night so yep. <laughs> no, but um so that's kind of we wrapped up a, we we packed in a good amount of information there, especially for an off-season um um show here but but is there anything that we didn't touch on that you kind of want to address I always put you on going, the spot, but <laughs> going back to that uh Tony Pollard Sports Illustrated article, where do you have him? If you I guess Ooh. you just have to shoot for the gun because I'm putting you on yeah. the spot here. But among the league's NFL best running back. I would say I mean easily I'd put him in the top ten. I don't know if I I'd agree. put him in the top five. So I think I don't think so either. Five to eight, I'm comfortable putting him in there. Depending on wh- who you like. Yep. I think that's the range I'd put him into. Probably closer to eight, but yeah. Maybe seven. I don't know. And that's totally fine. Like if you have a top 10 running back, you know, you can make them some things work. I mean, because we've seen, you know, undrafted fourth round, fifth round guys do stuff. If Tony Pollard can show some juice, some explosiveness, and he's ready to tote the tote the thing, you know, multiple times, 20 times a game, maybe even, I, I think the Cowboys could be in a good spot. And uh, we'll see if that's only for one year or not. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, absolutely. So again, that's another episode of the First and Ten podcast brought to you by Blogging the Boys, powered by SB Nation. Um, we're getting close, guys. I mean, we're about a month out, just a little over a month out before they report for training camp in Oxnard, California. So that means we only got about three or four episodes left before we're talking actual Cowboys Ooh. football. That's kind of crazy to think about. So I'm excited. We'll get you through it. Stay with us. Appreciate everybody listening. And if you can, like it, review it, do everything you can. We appreciate it. Appreciate you guys. So enjoy the rest of your week and uh, go Cowboys. Peace. 